Welcome to our January 13th edition of Saturday Simulcast. I want to thank our sponsor, the Union Club Hotel. Of course, home to the Boiler Up Bar, Leaps Coffee, and, and of course, uh, the 811 Bistro. Don't forget also to vote for the Union Club and the Marianne Bonvoy as one of the top uh, hotels of its kind. We appreciate them as a sponsor. Today's special show with uh, Rafael Davis joining us from the Big Ten Network, of course, to produce 2015 Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. And uh, also we'll have uh, Mike Steele and Jerry Nichols from the 1974 NIT team who will be honored during Saturday's game against Penn State. And Tom Deanhart will join us as well, talk about Purdue's early enrollees and much more uh, in today's Saturday simulcast. So as they say, enjoy the show. Welcome to Golden Black Live, Friday, January 12th edition. Special guest Ray Davis will join us here in a second. Also, uh, Mike Steele and Jerry Nichols will talk 1974 NIT championship, part of the great history of Purdue basketball that uh, Ray Davis knows a lot about. And then, of course, uh, Tom Diener will talk transfer portal and what's going on in the world of Purdue football. I want to thank our sponsors, the uh, Triple X on the hill, but on the level of Purdue tradition since 1929. And of course, State Farm agent Trent Johnson. All right, Rayfield Davis joins us. Uh, he is a busy man, so we're grateful for his time. Big Ten Network analyst, uh, extraordinaire, and uh, the work that it's, it's like, it's, sometimes it's kind of fun for Purdue fans. It's kind of the old Purdue show. Not that you're old, but you and Bruce Weber working together, right, and then that right. that Hummel Hummel guys out there too from time to time, a lot of fun. Oh. But I'll start with you just on on um, you know looking at the Big Ten race and it's taking form to some extent. Obviously, Illinois gets a big win last night, hangs on for dear life to do so. <laughs> Wisconsin's a game and a half ahead of uh, of your alma mater, Purdue, that uh, that uh, most people felt like was the clear cut favorite. Are we seeing anything to form? Wisconsin, you look at Wisconsin's schedule down the road, boy, they don't have to go to a lot of tough road places, it doesn't seem, right. if I've done my analysts right. Where do you see it right now? Is Purdue in peril? Purdue just need to hang in there and do what it needs to do? How do you view that? Oh, I think um, I think, I think think it's interesting as a fan to uh, put on my fan hat and kind of yeah. take off the Big Ten Network. <laughs> is, um, each year, Purdue wins the Big Ten and doesn't make a run in the tournament. No one cares about winning the Big Ten. Yeah. Every time, every year is um, <laughs> who cares about winning the Big Ten? No one cares about winning the Big Ten tournament. Let's make a deep run in March. And I think um, it's funny when you see kind of the fan base kind of now it matters. Now that we're yeah. behind, it matters <laughs> again. So I think um, I think it's one of those things where you look at it, Wisconsin has separated themselves. They take, they've taken care of business. They've um, caught teams at the right time. I mean, you caught Michigan State early in the middle of their struggles. I mean, you, um, you get a couple good wins. I think we'll, I think anytime Wisconsin has a um, has an athletic wing, has a big athletic wing from my days, it was Sam Decker, Nigel Hayes, and those dudes. It just makes them better. I mean, because they don't yeah. beat themselves, they don't turn the ball over, they don't gamble on defense, they take care of the glass. And then when they have those athletes like an AJ Store or like a John Blackwell, it allows them to play up tempo, get in transition, and then then they're able to compete with the athletic teams. And last year. They just didn't have the athleticism. They had the guys to win close games, but not the athletic guys. But I look at Purdue and 
they got some work to do. They got some catching up to do because Wisconsin, you look at their schedule and they will continue to ask some separation. So um, Purdue has to go out there and win a lot of the road games. Winning in Mackey, I mean, I think that's going to be good for Purdue, but I think it's going to be about winning on the road. Because, I mean, you, Coach Payne would always say you take care of home and you win half of your road games and you'll be right there to compete to win the league. So I think this year it's going to have to be maybe they win 75% of their road games. And I think um, the struggles at Nebraska, Nebraska played really well. They, yeah. Threw in a bunch of shots. Like Tominaga threw in some. Wiltshire played great off the bench. It's one of those things where when you beat Purdue, you look at even Northwestern, and your team has to play a perfect game. And like Coach Hoiberg talked about that before the game even started in the media. He said, We have to play a perfect game to even be in the game. And then we have to have some things go our way. Well, they played a, a near perfect game when you look at it. They shoot 51% from, from the field. Four, they make 14 threes, around 60% from three-point line. And then they competed on the glass. Purdue tries to bully on the glass. Nebraska was minus four there. But where they made up hay, where things kind of went their, their way was, Purdue turned it over 14 times. And then Nebraska scores 18 points off of those turnovers. So just like the Northwestern game, Purdue turns it over 17, 18 times, and Northwestern takes advantage of that. And then Nebraska – they only turned it over nine times. And I was talking to Lou Jack about this the other day is if I was nitpicking with Purdue, it would be that. It would be uh, the turnover percentage defense. It's one of the worst yeah. in the country. They don't pressure you on the wings. They don't get into you. I mean, I was at Mackey the other day, and I don't even see the, the play hard sign about a quarter yeah. anymore when they're counting turnovers. So I yeah. think um, – that's why guys like Tominaga or guys like Wiltshire or even Sam Hoiberg off the bench, they're comfortable to be able to come in the game and make plays. So I think Purdue has got to kind of pressure more defensively on the wings. And I think offensively, they can't go out and get beat in the paint, even if Zach has an off night. They got to have – that's why you bring in Lance Jones and Cam Heidi as a redshirt freshman. Brady Smith has gotten better at it. They got to attack the lane to make plays for themselves at the basket, not just depend on post-ups. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, and it is interesting. You, as a former defensive player of the year, though, that still is just watching that game and what Tamanaga did and Hoiberg did shooting threes that were borderline out of your mind, but Tamanaga does that. We've seen that. So, I mean, what do you, as a defender, how, if you're Lance Jones or or Braden Smith or whoever's out on the wing trying to make the play, do you – how do you deal with it almost mentally when that's going down? Because it was going down uh, uh, on a on a on a on a game or a shot by shot basis uh, in that game. Uh, you got to follow your principles. Like some of them, yeah. Like Tomanaga <laughs> threw one in, but I can remember specifically Lance Jones went under a screen. Yeah, you went, you went removed, and I I've been in Paint's defensive system. I know sports. <laughs> There's no way on earth Paint is telling guys to go removed on Tominaga or even C.J. Wiltshire, you stay tight on those guys. You stay tight yeah. to their body. You don't let them get the shot up. So if you do make that mistake defensively, yeah, they threw it in, but you made the mistake. So I think yeah. a lot of it is scout report stuff, staying tight to shooters, knowing personnel, uh, KYP, know your personnel. But then also just you got to get tired of being a bad defender. And I think that's yeah. where I got my career. I got tired of um, <laughs> in practice getting picked on in practice. Like I'll be on – Coach Owens' team and Coach Gary will be running plays to pick on Ray. So you get yeah. picked on in practice. You go play Michigan. John Beeline is picking on you. So you got to get tired. Or even in the game, you see Marcus Domask or Boo Booey. 
they're pointing at other guards to come set them a ball screen to get them a switch because they know Purdue's yeah. guards will switch and they're they're wanting they're wanting certain guards to guard them. And I yeah. think you got to get tired of being the guard that gets called out. I mean, I think yeah. um, Purdue's perimeter, I just got to defend better. Lance Jones cannot guard everybody. And I think if you look yeah. at the Penn State game, Kanye Clary and Ace Baldwin, they can both get going. You look at how they yeah. beat Michigan. Uh, even the other night, they were on a tear they, they, if, against Northwestern. Ace Baldwin yeah. just doesn't score in the second half. If Ace Baldwin gets going, if they both get going, they're tough. So Lance Jones can't guard both of them. Brandon yeah. Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, they're going to have to move those puppies and keep the ball in front. And then, like I was talking in the studio the other night, playing Penn State is, is similar to playing a non-conference game, kind of, in a sense. They have those two small guards. They're quick. They press you the whole game. And I think this is really going to be a test for Purdue's perimeter. Because you even think about DeMarco Dunn coming in off the bench, what he did against Michigan. They have three guys that can really go get their own basket and spread you out. So no, you're not seeing a walk in the park uh, come Saturday afternoon for Purdue. I mean, it could be it could be a competitive game. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, because I mean Penn State. I mean those guards are they're not chumps. I mean you got yeah. Kanye Clear is one of the most improved players, not just in the Big Ten but in the country. He went from uh, four points a game to I think now he's at 19, 20 points a game. And I mean he to that left hand, he's attacking you, and they um they go right at you. And Ace Baldwin the other night against Northwestern had eight steals. Yeah. So I think um, those two guys, they uh, they come to play every single night. It's going to be a game where Purdue's going to have to dominate. Purdue's going to have to score. Because the thing is, at Penn State, if they can't score, they can't press. So you're yeah. going to have to defend them. Because once they start scoring, they're making shots, and they're getting into that press, that's that's where they get people. I think they force 17 turnovers a game. And that's kind of yeah. – that's their MR. And a problem, and it has been a problem for Purdue in its down moments, certainly this season. All right, a bigger picture question. Lots been talked about the fact that Michigan State is the last Big Ten team to win the national championship. Certainly Purdue is going to be in that conversation, and there may be somebody else in the league. But talk about that and just in terms of that 23-plus year drought and why, in your opinion, that is. I mean – I understand the tournament is what it is, and you gotta you gotta execute in every every place to get that done. But is there a, is there a systemic issue uh, in this league that uh, is causing that, or is that a systemic issue if there is one getting better in twenty twenty four? Yeah, I would say one is hard to win a national championship yeah. and win games in March. I mean, dudes are good everywhere. Like it doesn't matter. Seat like sometimes seating doesn't matter. Sometimes you need players and. I think when the Big Ten, when I played, um, you look at the Big Ten and the teams that are going to the Final Fours so from when I played, I think Michigan was a national championship game. Wisconsin went to the Final Four twice. Michigan State went twice, I believe, or once or twice. And then um, yeah. Ohio State made a run to the Elite Eight. So, but you think about all those teams, <clears throat> Michigan's, Michigan has six NBA players on that yeah. roster. Uh, Wisconsin had – Four on their roster, four NBA guys, legit NBA guys. Um, <clears throat> Ohio State had a couple with Deshaun Thomas and those dudes. And, um, even Michigan State, Michigan State, um, they had some NBA guys. So I think um, when it comes to March, it comes to making deep runs, you need pros. And I think you need pros and you need athletes and you need guards. And I think the Big Ten for a while has recruited to win the Big Ten. And I don't think winning the Big Ten – what it takes to win the Big Ten isn't necessarily what it takes to win a national championship, if that makes sense. Because you look yeah. at a you look at a Penn State, 
They come in 10th place last season in the Big Ten. They go and they win a game in a tournament, and they're right there to win another one to go to Sweet 16. And they they almost missed the tournament. So yeah. it's a thing where, and they were, I think, a 10th seed in the tournament. They were upsetting. Right. So they were guard driven. They had pros. Jalen Pickett's a pro. Steph Lundy's a pro. They had big guards. They're athletic, and they can shoot threes. And I think um, that formula can get you beat in the Big Ten. You go play at Wisconsin. You go play certain schools. That can get you beat. So I think um, now you look across the league. I think the league is more guard driven. I don't think it's as um, post up heavy. It's uh, a little faster. You see Nebraska putting up eighty eight points. You see Iowa putting up eighty six points. Purdue has gotten there. You know Michigan State. Michigan State just put up ninety on Penn State. So I think this year, being more guard-driven, being more wing-driven, is definitely going to help come March. Because you look at Ohio State, they're going to take their ups and downs this season just because they're they're still young. They're young and winning in a sense where none of these guys yeah. have won. Even Jamison Battle transferring in, yeah. he didn't win at Minnesota. So they're going to have – I see this Ohio State team like I saw my Purdue team the 2014-2015 season where we took our losses but we still made our way to the tournament. But the difference is with this Ohio State team is they have pros. Like, Roddy Gale's a pro. Bruce Thor is a pro. Jameson Battle will play a long time overseas. So, I think and in, on their bench, guys like Scotty Middleton, he's a pro. So, as he grows throughout the season, come March, guys that are wired that way are better to play in March. Young yeah. guys that are naturally talented, that they won't have to really worry about. You know, they have a two-day prep. You're just kind of going out there and hooping. And I think – um. I think Ohio State will get some games in March. Purdue will get some games in March because of Brady Smith's growth, because of Lance Jones being able to make plays off the dribble when that shot clock is going down. But I think as the as the league grows on the wing and as the league grows in the guard position, I think the league will be better suited. Well said. You know, yeah. All right, Indiana is an interesting because Purdue will be playing in Bloomington on Tuesday. Never Again, never a walk in the park. I don't care where the Hoosiers are. They were bad against Rutgers, let's be honest. But uh, this is a team that plays differently at home. Um, how do you see, the, you know, again, the Purdue can't look past Penn State. But just the fact that that road games, you know, Purdue has to go to Indiana. They have to go to Iowa, Rutgers. They have Wisconsin on the road. They're all games Purdue can win. Uh, down the they have to obviously go to Illinois, too. But uh, it starts uh, going to be an interesting one on Tuesday in Bloomington. Yeah, I think, I mean, Indiana starts with their bigs. So I think yeah. when they um and when they match up against teams with other bigs, they struggle sometimes. I think if you look at the Rutgers game, I mean Khalil Ware, he had 13 and 17, which is great. I mean, amazing stat line. I think he was 50% from the field, five of ten. Khalil, I mean uh, Malik Renew, five of ten. I think um their guards didn't give them anything. I think they were eight for 27 from the field, only 18 points, and that's yeah. between not just their starting guards, all of their guards. And they, I mean, they turned it over, I want to say, 18 times. They got out-rebounded by 11. I mean, Rutgers got 19 offensive rebounds. So yeah. I think um, Coach Woodson's going to go back to the drawing board. That's not <laughs> going to happen. So you should expect a tougher team. But oh, I yeah. think um, if it's like Indiana's guards have to just play better. Um, Mackenzie and Baco is a freshman. You can't necessarily depend on freshmen in the Big Ten. But Trey Galloway, Xavier Johnson can't get ejected out of games. He just yeah. – it's just not. It's not funny. It's not cute. It's just not. It's just not okay for you to um, be on the road and you look at their plus minus with Xavier Johnson on the floor. They were plus one, and then once he left the game, it was over. So I think yeah. um, he's going to have more focused mindset. I think Woodson's going to have some meetings with him. They're going to talk it out. 
But I think um, if Indiana's guards, they don't get anything from their bench. I can see um, I can see Purdue running away with it. I think Purdue understands the rivalry. They got swept last year. I think you look at last. I mean, I came into Purdue and I hadn't even played at Purdue yet, and I was running suicides for Purdue getting swept the year before with Lewis Jackson yeah. and Rocky Kamosin every <laughs> year. They got swept that year, and we ran from that the next year. So I think they're going to feel those Indiana losses last year. I think they're going to come out with a focused mindset and take care of business. All right. Uh, uh, this is why you're one of the best at what you do. We're great analysis, and we appreciate it. I, I do want to talk one last question on crew life, and that's a, a passion of yours and your foundation and all that you, the work that you did in Fort Wayne. A lot went on over the Christmas holidays yep. season as well. Tell me what's next. There's always something next in that, in that world, but tell me, get me up to date on what's going on with crew life. Yeah, we just um... – like you just said, Christmas, we fed 30 families, uh, Christmas dinner. Uh, we got gifts and toys for seven other families, which was really cool. That was, uh, that was yeah. a lot of fun. And then now uh, we have our cheerleading camp, our youth cheerleading camp. That'll be February 16th at um, Southside High School, my former. Well, it'll be February 12th through 15th. And then the, the young ladies, they'll do a halftime performance at the basketball game on the 16th. So that'll be fun. That um. That's always fun. So we're, we're doing that. Um, 40 girls, 40 young ladies, you get to attend for free if they uh, they cannot afford the $25 fee. But then outside of that, I actually um, we have the opportunity to um, raise some funds and we were able to get selected by, by the uh, NBA All-Star Committee that um, we're going to take some boys, some young kids to the All-Star Weekend, NBA All-Star oh, Weekend. That would be awesome. So we're, um, we're taking – taking six, seven boys and uh, a few of our coaches. We're going to go down for Saturday night of All-Star Game, All-Star Weekend, and we're still raising funds to be able to attend Friday night. So if you want to donate to help us attend Friday night, you go to RayfieldDavisBasketball.com. But we're doing that. We were selected as a nonprofit that's able to do that Saturday night, so that's going to be a bunch of fun. A lot of the kids um, that we are taking, we're taking a few high school, three high schoolers. We're taking three middle schoolers and then two elementary kids. So um, it's going to be a bunch of fun. The kids are going to um, they're gonna have a bunch of fun. And we're going to take them throughout that day. We're going to have meetings with not just with the basketball stuff. But I have some things lined up where they're going to be able to meet a, four, a retired engineer, a retired pharmacist, different career fields. So that's a bunch of fun. Then we're going to have um, two spring break camps. We're going to have um, – we're working to have our first spring break camp in East Chicago, um, East Chicago, Indiana, at the high school where um, – Etwan Moore played where one of our coaches, Anthony Brown, he was a walk-on on Purdue. Yeah. He played there. And then we're going to have our, our full Wayne spring break camp. And then we're also working on our, our Indianapolis spring break camp. So we normally just have our Fort Wayne camp. and our, But this year we're trying to do – because it's all different weeks. So we're trying to do Fort yeah. Wayne. We're trying to do East Chicago. We're trying to do Indianapolis. And then we're actually working on West Lafayette. That just We just haven't found a gym yet. So, um, no, nah, that's what's um, – we're in the spring of our stuff. And now we have our um, – Lewis Jackson is going to be leading our AAU program that we're going to start. We have a seventh-grade team. And we're trying to put together a sixth-grade team. Lewis Jackson is going to be leading that. And this is, um, it's just been a lot of fun. It's been a whole bunch of fun. And the kids are, kids are really enjoying it. We have our spring college trip coming up. That will be come April, our spring college trip. We're going to go to a university for a weekend. So – it's just a bunch of cool stuff to be able to get the kids moving, getting them out of town, and getting them to see different things that they maybe normally not saw. Yeah, I love the fact that you talk about the need for exposure. And not everybody's yeah. going to play in the NBA. 
or play right. sports professionally, but learn about sports, learn about engineering. And uh, nobody is doing it better than you, Ray, and it's making a difference. You make a difference when we get to watch you on TV. We love that. But uh, this is that's important. This is truly important, and I'm so glad that uh, you're you're making that happen. And we'll any way thing we can do to support you, we we will do that as well. So Ray, have a great weekend. Enjoy the basketball. I know you do. Uh, any any trips to Mackey in terms of coverage in the near term, to your knowledge at this point? Do you know? No, I am actually in studio um, five nights a week now. So yeah, I'm so, uh, I'm all you're going to do. All studio for throughout the Big Ten season. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm studio. I, I actually, I got I, six days a week. So yeah. six days a week, I'll be in studio. So it's not much time to do much. Else. I will be um the Thursday night games in Mackey. I will be there as a fan, though. So yeah, all right, yeah, all right. We get that. That's a, that's always a. It's a heck of an environment there. A lot of fun to to be part of that too. All right, have a great uh, rest of your day. We'll be back in a little bit here for segment two and that uh, will be joined by uh, the NIT guys. And that, of course, Mike Steele and Jerry Nichols, they, they will be uh, part of a, a ceremony tomorrow in Mackey arena at halftime, I believe as Purdue takes on Penn state. Uh, thanks again, Ray. And we'll, we'll be back in two minutes. I'm welcome back. The room's gotten, I don't know if the room's gotten prettier, but they've gotten two, two, two Boilermaker basketball <laughs> legends with us. Of course, Jerry Nichols. And we're talking 1974 NIT championship team, which will be uh, will be honored tomorrow in Mackey Arena. And these guys are going to tear up the town, I think, when they're in town tonight. But Jerry Nichols joins us. Uh, and, of course, a starting guard, a starting, starting swing guy forward on that uh, from Greenwood, Indiana, basketball uh, on that basketball team that uh, won the NIT. Mike Steele from Robinson, Illinois, number forty-one, uh, and a, a key reserve, especially down the down the stretch in, in the seventy-four season. Uh, ended up being a starter later in his career as well. Of course, had it was also a coach at uh, East Carolina, at DePaul, at Butler as an assistant. Any place else you coached? That's it. GGA at Purdue also for a little bit. Did you do a year there? I was a GA at uh, Bowling Green. Bowling Green. Okay, there you go. So uh -huh. anyway, here we are. So now that we got the introductions in uh, to my favorite people, just to talk some basketball. And we, if I'd have recorded the the fifteen minutes we talked before that, we'd really have a good show because there's a lot a lot of good <laughs> stuff going on. Jerry, I'm going to start with you. Just to, sure. talk, obviously the '74. Uh, I, we all lament, or I guess maybe we were lament and or we're excited we all made it uh, uh, 50 years past uh, that uh, great moment in, in Purdue basketball history, of course, in 74 team, winning the NIT championship and uh, and finishing strong like it did. A great moment for you as a player, but also a difficult one. I mean, obviously, you had an injury in the quarterfinals against against Hawaii, but now you take a look back at that at 50 years later and that what it Put it in encapsulate kind of what it means now and uh, and what that experience was like for you. Well, of course, that's probably one of the most memorable things that uh, you know that happened during my career at at Purdue. You know, seventy one through seventy five. Um, like I like I've spoken many times before, we had a team that was just uh, very very close. Team chemistry was was awesome. Uh, all of us knew our roles, um, and we knew what we had to do to win. And we had scores, we had defenders, we had rebounders, things of that sort. And we had guys not only in the starting five, but we had 
the rest of the team, when they got the chance to come in and, and take over, they did their job too. And that's why we were so successful. Um, but that NIT, like you said, uh, that championship was, like you said, bittersweet for me. Um, I did blow out my knee against Hawaii and, and uh, had to watch the, the rest of the, the tournament from my hospital bed back in Lafayette. Um, but, you know, leading up to that, uh, I was playing some of my best basketball. Um, against North Carolina in the first game, I had probably my best game of, the, of my career with 22 points. And I think, I don't know, eight or nine rebounds against Bobby Jones. Right, Bobby um, Jones, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I defended him and, and that was that was quite a challenge, too. But, uh, you know, we, we played very well. We, we got down the first half, but we came back and we, we did our thing in the second half. And I think we be, ended up beating them by 11 or 12. So um, and, you know, they had they had some pretty good future NBA players on that team, not only Bobby, but Daryl Elston and and Walter Davis, Mitch Kupchak and all those guys. So we were playing a big time team. And, uh, uh, you know, it's been established that back then the NIT was really as good or better than the NCAA tournament was um, because we had more actually more top 10, top 15 teams in our tournament than than the NCAA tournament did uh, due to the fact that, you know, the, the NCAA invi automatically invited the, all of the conference championships, you know, conference uh, teams that won championships. So um, in lesser conferences. So anyway, I mean, you know, I don't really remember much about um, when the team came back to the arena, cause I was pretty, <laughs> pretty well morphined up. Uh, but uh they came to the hospital and they got me and willed me in Macarena during the celebration. And, and I just broke down because that, you know, that was the epitome of, of one of the best things that ever happened to me being able to celebrate with my teammates that did such a great job, man. I was proud of them uh, for hanging in there and, and uh, basically when, when one for the stick man. So, <laughs> as, well, as, you know, and, 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 and I think you know, there've been emotional moments in Macarena history Joe Barry Carroll giving roses to his mom. And, and I remember in 1980 when I was in school, but that was an unbelievable moment. You know, you had 10,000 people and they get, and you guys were late. Steele, I don't know what you guys were doing on the way, but I remember Dima, Bob DeMoss, the, the former football coach kind of prompting the crowd. We kept waiting for you guys to show up because I was <laughs> probably and, partying. Yeah. And, and, and then, and then when you came out, uh, was really an emotional moment in, 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 in the history of the building because people knew what you meant to that team and, and the difficulty and knee injuries were different in 1974 than they are in 2024 by a long shot. Very much. Uh, and, uh, without question, Mike, you're what, you know, you obviously were a key role player in that team, but your role, I may, I may, I may be incorrect, but I, my memory serves did increase even more after Jerry's injury but also you certainly played a role playing with, with and behind Bruce Parkinson and getting the job done. And you had a very good uh, time. I, I don't know how good a time you had in New York. You had a good time on the Madison Square Garden court playing very well for that team yourself. And we talked about Gerald Thomas, uh, who's been battling some health issues, coming in and doing the job. Bruce Rose, obviously, getting the starting job on Jerry's out. Talk about the the role players on that team, and you were one of them. But uh, you had some also had some pretty good talent on the front end of that basketball team too. No, you know when Stick got hurt, I, initially I don't think any of us knew how. You know we didn't know how bad he was hurt, and he 
And like you said, we were close. And when he went, I can remember, guys, the good thing was that Bruce Rose and Stick were both so good. Yeah. And they tried to play him together, but you had Frank, you know, in there too. And so fortunately we had someone like Bruce Rose that could come in and play 10 more minutes than he was playing. And he couldn't guard like stick, but he, he was an enforcer and he was really a good player. And so we missed stick, but I think if we, we would have, it would have been harder to replace anybody, but, Bruce Rose was playing at a, at a different level too. The two of them together were really, really good. I mean, really good. So, but you know, I, I think that when I look back on it, I don't think, you know, we, when we played, like it wasn't like we went in and said, okay, we can't, are we going to be able to compete with Indiana? Are we going to be, we just went and played. I mean, you know, when NC state came in, we had them on the ropes uh, you know, Carolina was a top five team, but yeah. we we just played, and we and I think that was one of the things too that we played pickup games in the summer. We just wanted to play, and I think that that's similar when I watch uh, Smith and I watch these guys playing now. I think they're ballers. I think they, I think if they were playing DePaul and Division three and weren't getting any money in A&I, Mel money and all that stuff. I think they'd be playing every day because they love playing basketball. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big, that's a, a, an important. One of the storylines to say, and of course, Jerry, you kind of outlined that only one team in the NC, from the Big Ten made the NCAA tournament. Of course, it ended up being an Indiana-Michigan playoff, and there's a long story with that. The Indiana or Michigan beats Indiana goes to the NCAA tournament, Indiana goes to the commissioner's tournament, and Purdue goes to the NIT. Uh, and my, my my point, though, is that one of the storylines that you, I mean, you guys beat an extremely good Providence team out in Hawaii. Uh, you beat Michigan at home in an unbelievable comeback in one of your great moments, uh, another injury moment that people remember. You were getting your nose bloody, Jerry, in that game, but the defensive job you did – but you also had some tough losses. I mean, North Carolina State, which you played five days later. Uh, you did a great job on David Thompson, still out for, with fouls and other issues in the last 11 minutes of that, or last uh, last part of that game. But you had a – and they won the national championship, and you had them on the ropes right. uh, in Mackey Arena. You had Indiana, one of the most bitter losses I can remember was the, the last game of the year in Bloomington. Uh, in a game that a uh, very questionable call against Bruce Rose. Was, <laughs> Quite a lot of questionable calls. Yes, yeah, and the Hall of Calls got its name then. But uh, just talk about just how good that team was. I mean, we talked about, you know, just uh, the league was good, but uh, you guys were just a, a, a step away from being being not only Big Ten champions and being the NCAA tournament, but also uh, beating some extremely good teams. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, you mentioned we had some extremely close losses and uh, that was true. And I think the, some of those losses were basically came down to one or two possessions. Um, offensive or defensively, we made some mistakes that we w- normally wouldn't make and it put us in a bad position and it just ended up losing the ball game. Uh, we could have very, very well been the league championship if if a couple of things, the bounces would have gone our way a couple, two or three games uh, during the year. But, you know, those things happen. Um, but we had a very high-powered offense, as yeah. you know, Alan. 
Uh, we scored 61 points in the first half against North Carolina State. Uh, we had them down 61 to 46, I believe, down 15 at half. And we just went cold the second half. And, and uh, they, you know, being the number one team in the country, they came back storming back in the, in the second half. And due to the fact that we couldn't, couldn't hit a broadside of a barn, they came back and beat us by, I think, four or five. Uh, but we were right in the game with them, maybe even played a better game than they did. We just didn't hit our shots. Uh, but, you know, all teams go through that kind of stuff. As, as a witness the other night against Nebraska, the, the current team, you know, they uh, Nebraska was just unreal with their shooting and stuff, and, and it goes that way. Um, but, yeah, like I said the other day, it, it – it was a it was a situation where I think at the time that the, the NCAA was going on, or not the NCAA, but the NIT championship was going on. I think we were playing as well as anybody in the country, with maybe the exception of UCLA. And uh, I would have loved to have had a chance to play those guys, but uh, it didn't work out. Um, so could we have been there? Absolutely, but it didn't work out in our favor for for that season. You know, Mike, one of the guys that you, um, not the guy, the guy that you uh, were kind of the presenter for for the Purdue Hall of Fame, Bruce Parkinson. And, uh, and if you haven't, we we if you haven't had a chance to, you can certainly go back and go to go to goldenblack.com. We did a, a Zoom cast with this darn near the entire team. Had a great time with that on Monday as part of our Monday Night Memories. But Mike, talk about Bruce and just the kind of player, you know, you don't, He's another one of those guys that that doesn't always show up statistically, but uh, he was maybe his best year in all. Of course, he had an injury also later in his year. Maybe his best year at Purdue was his sophomore year in that 74 team. But just tell tell folks just how good he was. And you guys got to play, go head to head a lot in practice, I know. But uh, talk about uh, how good Bruce was. Well, the first time <clears throat> I've been on campus for a couple hours and <laughs> You know, my parents dropped me off and I went right over to the co-rack and Park was there and, you know, I meet him. That's the first time I'd ever, you know, I met him. And I kind of prided myself on a couple things. I would usually get the teams, make the teams up, try to make them fair, but usually my guys were had a little bit of advantage. And I yeah. would keep score. And so that's another advantage. So yeah. I would win more games than I'd lose. Well, I cheated. Parkinson, he's from North Carolina. <laughs> you know, he's such a, not, you know, not the sharpest tool in the shed. And so, <laughs> not here uh, to defend himself either, but go ahead. Uh, he's not, it's great. And so <laughs> I, uh, he won every game. I mean, I put, I changed the score. I did everything. He won every game. And I went back and I called my dad and I said, uh, dad, I just played with the best basketball player I've ever seen. And my dad said, well, you know, Mike, you know, at the different level, you're going to see that. I said, dad, He's the same age. He's a freshman, and he plays the same position I play. And my dad said, "Oh, damn, that's uh, that's not good." <laughs> so, if they had the portal, then I'm not yeah. sure. I'd, I'm not sure I'd have stayed all night. Yeah, I don't know one night at Purdue, I'd have been at Evansville or Indiana State or someplace. But and that shows you, though, you know, he hung in there, and even though Park and I think Park made me better because I played against him every day in the summer. We played one-on-one. -on -one. I cheat him, trip him, whatever. <laughs> and, but I also knew that if I was in the game and I could get him the ball, 
things were going to happen that were going to be good. I mean, I think that I was, that's one of the things that I tried to do is when in doubt, get it to Bruce. And I think maybe one of the reasons he had such a good year is because I was, when I was in the game, I wasn't looking for me as much as I was looking for Park. And we had a nice chemistry together. I think in the NIT, we played a lot together. A lot together, yes. We had some, you know, I had a good feel for what he was going to do. And yeah, we had a good chemistry, but he was a special player uh, and, you know, was as good as any point guard that I have seen play. He was really, he was really good. Was Purdue's all-time assist leader and Bruce Parkinson uh, was a sophomore from Yorktown, Indiana uh, on that team. And yes, he was uh, uh, one of those guys. He's Joe Barry Carroll's got the only triple double in Purdue history, men's basketball history, but who knows the closest second is Bruce Parkinson. And uh, he had, I think a, in his freshman year, I think a 12, nine and nine or 12, 10 and nine deal. Of course we know assists got in there somewhere, but uh uh, he was special. All right, we now we get our chance to have some fun with John Garrett and Frank Kendrick, just because <laughs> really good players, obviously. John Garrett uh, and Jerry, I'll start with him. John Garrett, of course, the center on that team, 6'11 guy from Peru, Indiana, would have been a soft junior on that team. That's right. Yeah. And finished, uh, made second team all Big Ten. Frank made first team that year. But uh, really special guy. You guys could, you know, he's a 6'11 guy, Frank. You guys can run a bit. This team was fun to watch, Jerry, because you guys can get up and down the court. But talk about the skill set of both those guys. And then I'll let I'll let uh, Mike Steele rebut it, because you know he will, uh, especially with Frank. But go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead well, I think we both have pretty good uh, – same same values and views yeah. of both of those players. Uh John was, he was a phenomenon because not only was he 6'11", but the guy could run the floor like a guard. And uh, that was one of the reasons why we were such a fast-paced team is because we could do that with him in the in the ball game. Um, and, you know, the guy could shoot from anywhere on the court and as good as anybody we had on the team. Uh, his, his shooting was probably some of the best that I've ever seen in a big man. Um, there's been some good ones, but he was right up there with the rest of them. Um, and you know, he was, he was just a guy that we could get the ball to. And we knew that something good was going to happen. Like Mike said, well, I'll go with park. And, um, so John was a very good guy to get, have on, on our team because, you know, we were based on quickness. Frank and I were very quick. We could jump things like that. John could run the floor, not jump very well, but he could yeah. still rebound. And, of course, then we had really quick guards and stuff, maybe with the exception of Steely. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and in regards to Frank, Frank was probably, you know, Coach Shaw said one time that 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 he thought Frank was very much like Elgin Baylor uh, in, in the way he was able to score and stuff one-on-one. And I believe that. I used to watch Elgin Baylor play with the Lakers all the time and – and Frank had uncanny individual moves as a one-on-one offensive player. Couldn't guard a fence post. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, Frank was a great guy to, to play with because we would both get out and run and, and yeah. get, get things moving. So that was a lot of fun. The, the thing I enjoyed about Frank, and probably we would both say the same thing, is some of the toughest competition that we had in our years at Purdue were mine and his 
one-on-one -on -one games after practice Yeah, because we were the same size. We were the same quickness. We could both shoot. We could both go to the hole. Um, it was just, I mean, knockdown, drag out one-on-one -on -one, uh, games after practice. So, but no, I, I, Frank was just, he was just a terrific player and he had a really good knack of, of being able to score. And he didn't lack confidence, which, which comes in handy as a player. Right. Guys, you know, and I'm not being critical of him at all. I think that that's a thing where uh, Frank had that, uh, had that special quality. You, you'd said Mike, and I think on Mondays, and I've heard you say it before about John Garrett in today's NBA world, uh, would be different than he was, you know. He never, never. I don't. He, I may have had a cup of coffee in terms of getting a couple chances, but didn't really get much, much at all of a chance in the league. He played overseas, though. I think is that right? He I did. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, anyway, talk talk about about John's skill set. And of course, Frank was a was in the NBA for a cup of coffee and played a long time overseas. Was part of the Golden State Warriors uh, World Championship team. Was at least on that roster for half that season, but. Talk about uh, those guys in terms of just how your views of how good they were, but also the, some of their skill sets that made them unique. You know, Frank, Frank had a really good mid-level jump shot. I mean, he and then stick can tell you like he could go hard to the basket and pull up and shoot an eight, 10, 12 footer. Yeah. Right. He didn't have much range. Yeah. Like if they had a three point shot, it would, he'd have shot them. I promise you that. But <laughs> yeah. <he> still <laughs> Still does in his alumni games, but go ahead. No, but he didn't. He didn't have that part of the game. And no. but John Garrett, if he was playing now, John Garrett could go set those high screens. If you could visualize uh, Edie setting a high screen and then stepping back and shooting threes, yeah, that's that's what John John's most of John's baskets came outside of fifteen feet. And he was a great free throw shooter, but up at the elbow and even further out, you know, we we have shooting games after practice and stuff. And you're talking about as the next year with Macy and Seastine and Eugene and guys that you know could all really shoot. John Garrett could shoot just as good or better than any of those guys. And yeah. you know, he had, I mean, for a guy six eleven, I'm not sure he could dunk, and I know he couldn't palm a ball. No. Really small hands. No. No. But he could shoot it. Yeah, he could shoot it. And he was fun. He was fun to be with. He was fun in the locker room. I think that's the other thing that made it really neat is that the I can't remember I can't remember any blow ups, any real issues we had. Uh I think Frank might have he and Rosie one night, you know, he was Frank was mad about something, and Mose, Rosie stopped that pretty quick. And but that was that was <laughs> it. I mean, that was it. And yeah. and David Luke and all those guys, we just had a really really close group, and that made it that really made it so much fun. I mean, and as the season goes on, you know, I can't remember some of the games we won or lost, or whatever. But I can remember we were always together, and we were always you know always had everybody's back, and that was that made it special. Yeah, David Luke, of course, uh, uh, the, I guess you, I don't know if you really call him, he really wasn't a point guard. He was kind of your off guard because Bruce really ran ran the show, but he he also was a big part of that uh, starter and and it played a big role in kind of his career 
crescendo at the right time because he, you know, he'd struggled a little bit going into that year and, and, right. and uh, became a very, very important part of that team uh, uh, from Cincinnati Purcell high school. All right. I do want to ask one more question about the team. And then I, then I want to hit you both on, on this year's team, but Fred Schaus, the head coach, uh, obviously uh, uh, what would have been in his second season as the head coach in, in the 73, 74 season. But Jerry, I'll start with you. Talk about what, what Fred Schaus was like as a coach and uh, how he seemed to complement kind of the atmosphere, maybe because you guys were kind of good at getting along by yourselves, but talk about the, the role that Fred played in, in your group. Yeah, uh, it was kind of a shock for me after my freshman year to hear that George King had taken taken the AD job and that we were going to have a new coach. I didn't have the slightest idea uh, or know much about Coach Shouse when he came in. Uh, knew that he'd been with the Lakers for many years as coach and general manager, uh, but that's all I knew about him. I didn't know what kind of game we were going to be playing or anything. Uh, the good part about it was is that he brought in in the pro style uh, quick ball game that we all like to play. Um, and we had the team for it. And I think he realized that, that with the quickness and, and the mobility that we had, um, that that was the style of play we needed to play. So he was already, I mean, he was already there with that type of game from the pros, um, defensively. I, you know, I don't, I don't know that we got a whole lot better defensively, um, in the years that he was there, but we were able to outscore a lot of teams, you know? And, uh, uh, but no, Coach Shouse was a player's coach. I think you could go to him with any problems or issues that you had and discuss things with him. And he would, he would help you work those out. Uh, he would listen to you when you came with ideas and, and stuff like that. But uh, he was a good guy. He was a really good guy. Um, and I think we all, you know, pretty much all had the same feeling about him in that regard. Um, Fiery guy, very fiery guy. So you know you had to you had to compete and you had to do your job, or you were going to be in a in a world of hurts, probably at halftime or after practice and stuff like that. But uh, no, I think he was a good coach for us. Yeah, the stomper. He was. Uh, yes, he was. The, he was a personality, even though. Uh, and like I said, a good one of those. He's a good soul. There was no question about that. But Mike, what what, what you know? You obviously went on and coached. You had people that inspired you in in the coaching world, certainly. But uh, uh, talk about what what Fred might have had to, what not say inspiration, but things that you may have taken from what he did uh, in your coaching career. You know, it's funny we talked about the Iowa game, which we lost in triple overtime. But yeah. it's 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 one of the moments. It's one of the games that I remember, and and I'll tell you why. Like I, you know, I was a pretty good passer, and so like our last second shots. I would be the guy taking the ball out of bounds. So I, you know, that was, you know, that's what I did. And so we're down in the second overtime and we're down two and there's like two seconds to go. Mm -hmm. And we got a timeout and coaches, he's put Pat Manahan in and the, I was supposed to throw it to Pat and then Pat was going to throw it to stick. And that was the play. And so, <laughs> as we're coming off the bench, I turned to coach and I said, we don't have time for two passes. It's right. not going to work. I'm a sophomore. And I said, it's not going <laughs> to And as we're going onto the floor, the place is going crazy. And coach said, well, then throw the damn ball wherever you want to throw it. 
<laughs> there we go. And so stick goes off the screen. He goes deep and I fake it to Manahan and I throw it the length of floor and stick is wide open and he catches it and makes it. And I'm telling you, I wish I had a video of me sauntering over to the pen. <laughs> Everybody's going crazy on, on stick. And, you know, it was, everybody's so pumped. He makes a shot. And I was just kind of like, well, what do we want to do next? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was so cocky. It was so favorite. It would have been perfect if we would have won the game, if we would have yeah. won. And when you talk to Sat, Sat still thinks he made the shot and we won the game. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't remember any of the games except that one. That's it. Yeah. You and I know the difference. Yeah, oh. Dick, that, Dick not also not here to defend himself, though. he did. We did shout get him out in the uh, Monday night uh, podcast, but Dick had 17 points, but he did not score the uh, – No, the, no. Yeah, but he did hit nine out of ten free throws, so he did it do that. Well. It was yeah. a flip. Dick, Dick's a good storyteller. Yeah, he is. I mean, think about it. You think about it. Had me from Robinson, Stick from Greenwood, Park from – Yorktown. Yorktown, for crying out loud. Satterfield then, from Hagerstown. Hagerstown. A couple boys from Peru. Yeah. I mean, it was just, when we, if they'd had a video of us the first night, the first day we were in New York, it would have been like, <laughs> it would have been like Opie looking up and like, Pa, look at the buildings. <laughs> <laughs> and you got exactly uh, right. Buddy. And as the story goes, you didn't pack because you weren't sure you're were going to beat North Carolina for a long time, and then you did. And then, of course, in those days, the whole tournament was played there, so you got to spend what yeah. ten days, eleven days there. Something oh, like it, at, at the Essex House, and I mean, Park and I, I, I only took one change of clothes because I was going, I, I was going to Myrtle Beach to play golf with the fraternity guys. I knew we weren't going to beat Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the thing. You screwed the whole story up because they said, "Oh, they were ready and they were ready to. They were mad and they, and they they thought they were they had a chip on their shoulder. They were going to beat North Carolina. No, you guys nope. weren't going to win. You're going to win. I don't know. There's got to be some truth in there somewhere. Well, well on the other other end of that, I knew that we were going to beat them. Yeah, there you go. There you yeah. go. There you go, stick. You know what? I was so excited we were going, and they said we're playing Carolina. I said, "Well, this will be a short trip." <laughs> Jerry, I want to ask you, because both of you guys obviously watching, both of you will be in Mackey Arena tomorrow uh, and be honored and see Purdue take on Penn State at 2.15. Yep. But uh, we all watched uh, Tuesday night in, in Lincoln when uh, the Cornhuskers put on a shooting show. Uh, you guys know a lot about basketball and watched a lot of basketball, a lot of Purdue basketball that, not time to hit the panic button by any stretch by Purdue, but you know, four out of the what, five top five teams in the AP poll have already been beaten this week. Uh, yeah. But talk about, I'll start with you, Jerry, put a little bit in perspective on what you see in this team and maybe what they have to do to get better. I mean, they can't be, if you can't be at your best on January the 12th, uh, if you're going to win on April the 8th or whatever day it's going to be. So talk about that. Uh, to be honest with you, and I think Mike will agree with me here. This team reminds me a whole lot of our team in the, in regards to the team chemistry they have and how hard we played. And, um, you know, everybody's go still going through. It's only mid not even quite mid season yet, 
and everybody's still going through growing pains with trying to develop the, you know, their team roles and, and their combinations of players at certain times during certain games to, to be successful. Uh, you know, when Zach gets in foul trouble, like he did on Tuesday night and he has to sit out, you know, a few, few more minutes than what he normally does, that puts a little bit more strain on the guys coming off the bench and more pressure. Um, and, and we, we turned the ball over quite a bit on Tuesday night, uh, which is kind of unusual. Uh, when we're at our best, when, when Braden is not dribbling the ball for half the shot clock, uh, yeah. we're, we're at our best when we move the ball, you know, very quickly and get our rotations all matched up for Zach to roll to the basket and get posted up inside and then get the ball to him. And then if they double and triple team, then we've got guys that are, you know, good shooters and, and we shoot a pretty good, a matter of fact, I think we, before Tuesday night, I think we were the top rated uh, three point shooting team in the big 10 at 40, about 41%. If I'm right, Mel. So, you know, we can knock them down as, as Gillis did, you know, there, there for a while, but unfortunately we didn't have enough players hitting enough of them to weather the storm because our defense broke down on many occasions, which, uh, you know, you go through games like that. Uh, But unfortunately Nebraska was hitting everything they threw up. And Tamanaka was unreal like he always is. Just, you know, it doesn't even look like he can get a shot off over the defender and the kid pulls up and makes the shot. Uh, it's hard, hard to defend. And it's, um, but, yeah, I, I, love their, I love their composure in most games. Uh, Tuesday night was one game this year that I thought maybe we, we kind of got it in our head that we were beat before the end of the game. Uh, usually we just – fight back and, and uh, you know, take control of the game again. And it just didn't happen. So that happens. But this team's going to be fine. I mean, they've only lost two games. Sometimes when you get beat, it makes you work harder. It gets you more composed, uh, gets you more prepared for the, the next games uh, that you're going to be able to play. And since you have a few losses going into the tournament, that gives you more motivation to to do your job and show people that, you are the best team in the country. And I think, I think if we're going to win a national championship, I think this is a team that can do it. Mike, what, 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 any, anything to add to that? Or what will you add to that? You say? know what? Let me, was Kaufman Wren, was he sick? You know? Not to my knowledge. I just think that they didn't uh, just, you know, he, he went for literally zeros across. Now, he had five rebounds or something like that, but yeah, yeah. zeros across no, the board. Because, you no, know, he had, his man left him. I mean, he's coming off the best game he's had, of, like that I can remember. He was. And he made a th- made a three, made shots. He, he th- they left him, and he had two or three times he caught the ball inside the free throw line and didn't even look to shoot it. Yeah. And he, I mean, talking to different like coach and and some of the players, like he's improved so much, and I just felt like. I don't know what happened to him in that game because he played only 15 minutes and he had some rebounds, but I mean, he didn't, he didn't get a shot attempt. He didn't get a shot. He didn't get a shot. Yeah. And, and I, I agree with stick and that what we didn't get, we didn't get any fast break baskets because they didn't miss any shots. Right. I mean, they didn't. And I mean, they, every time, when we started that second half and we got right there, I said, well, we're going to be fine. Yeah. And I'll be darned if it didn't go to 10 points, 
but they made they made shots that you try to make if you're playing horse and it's like this is the last <laughs> yeah. stick. and okay sticking you got to shoot this shot when the ball hits your hand you got one second to shoot it because oh, that's how quick that guy and you know what you watch i guarantee you his next game he'll be one for nine or something balls will be going everywhere but i i think that that we this team we can't get wrapped up with losing a game because everybody, there's nobody left that's undefeated already. Yeah. And this past week, I mean, four of the top five teams got beat, and some of them got beat at home. And, I mean, Marquette gets beat by Butler. Marquette was like two for 25 from the three. Right. Miami gets beat by Louisville, and Louisville is arguably – you know, the worst team in the ACC, and they go in and score 90-some and beat them 15 or 20. So because of the three-point line and the portal, I think it's just changed the uh, uh, it, the parity. There's a lot of good teams and a lot of good players. Yeah, that is a true statement. And uh, I agree. I think that uh, – and now and that uh, that's what's going to make it interesting down the stretch. And, uh, well, we will look forward to both of you guys and your teammates – uh, and and what will be a special <clears throat> presentation in Mackey Arena on Saturday? I think they're going to do something at halftime, I presume. And uh, when you guys will be honored, and uh, and I think Matt Painter did you know did you guys some justice because uh, that's one thing I love about uh, Matt Painter is his ability to understand history and understand perspective of like you guys have talked about 1974 nit championship is not the same as a 2023 nit championship it was no. a big deal and uh 10,000 fans greeted you guys when you came home and uh it's worthy of a banner in mackey arena i think that's what's really cool is that that that, that is there and you'll get your just desserts and fans like myself when i was in i'm a little younger than you guys you were <laughs> you were i lost you i lost you hello Hello, I'm a little younger, but you guys were absolutely <laughs> on the watch, and I didn't know Thank all the stuff. I didn't know all the stuff you guys did off the court because I, I was I was too young and naive. But I did appreciate <laughs> that's good. Appreciate yeah. you guys being as good as you were. So hey, appreciate guys, it. Safe is travels to uh, to uh, West West Lafayette. Uh, Jerry doesn't have quite as far to go as Mike does, but you guys will get here, and you'll be greeted with some really wonderfully cool temperatures, which is, makes yeah. Lafayette the place to be in the wintertime. We all know that. So we'll be hey. back in a couple minutes, though, for our next segment. I go, do you want a last word? Go ahead, Mike. Oh, no, no. It's Gerald Thomas, because as you mentioned, he's gone through some incredibly tough health situations. Is he – Going to be able to go to the game? Do you know? I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. I think there's. I think he's. I think he's working on that as best yeah. he can. But I'm not. I'm not certain that that'll be the case. Of course, Gerald lives in West Lafayette, uh, less than a quarter mile, half a mile from Mackey Arena, to be to be exact. Uh, of course, the, the old longtime West Lafayette City Councilman as well has gone through some health issues and had some recent surgery. But uh, uh, I've always appreciated the fact, that even on our Monday Night podcast, you guys did a lot to honor uh, what a what a great guy Gerald is, first and foremost. And as a true freshman, came in and really helped uh, make a couple big free throws. I think in the Utah game and a game in Jacksonville too. Then in the semifinals, it was uh, dicey for at half. You guys were tied at the half in that game, and he. Came came in and uh and did the job so i missed the free throw 
I missed a big free throw in the championship game and Gerald stepped in and tipped it back. That's right. And I ended up getting it and didn't have anything to do with it. So I threw it up there and it went in. So, I mean, it was, uh, <laughs> Gerald uh, gets an assist for that. Yes, yeah. he does. Yes, he does. No, he was one of the, one of the best teammates you could have. Just a good heart and a good guy. Great soul. Great soul. All right. We'll be back in a couple of minutes for our next segment on golden black live and, uh, stay tuned as they say, and we appreciate all of you, all of you guys and Mike and Jerry so much. Segment three, Golden Black Live. Thank you to uh, Ray Fell Davis and to Mike Steele and Jerry Nichols who joined us in the first two segments. Tom Deanhart uh, joins us for segment three. And yes, it's quiet, I guess. The NCAA champ champion has been determined with Michigan. Uh, the transfer portal is closed. So Purdue has still uh, picked up somebody, I think was it this week as well. But Tom, it still is, um, and we're still working our way through conditioning. I will start again, and then, of course, spring ball. But uh, kind of give me your assessment, uh, Purdue, in, in the transfer portal, a pretty highly at least respected group in terms of what uh, needs were have been secured. But uh, give us your synopsis of that group and kind of what, uh, what, uh, what to take from that uh, from your perspective. Yeah, first, Alan, um... <clears throat> Crazy to think about this, but classes have started in West Lafayette. Yeah. Purdue's enrolled 14 players from the portal. They've also enrolled 13 uh, high school and junior college players, 11 high school kids and two JCs. So that, that's 20, 27 new players who are on campus who will take part in spring football. So the staff's got a lot to sort through. A lot of times, Alan, these freshmen, we know, Probably aren't going to play much, if at all, this coming fall. But still, 14 transfer guys, 11 high school kids, two junior college players, all are, are walking around campus, Alan, carrying their book pack, with <laughs> the union, eating at the sweet shop, you know, walking by the old fountain and taking classes. But again, uh, just, just a lot of new faces here for the staff to sort through. We see this roster continue to change, to continue to evolve. People who rank uh, portal classes seem to think Purdue's got a pretty good collection of players here, Alan. And uh, they seemingly checked a lot of boxes. And no box was checked more thoroughly than that offensive line box. Right. You know, they, they, We all knew they had to, to, to do some work there. And, boy, did they do some work, Alan, uh, bringing in some, you know, it looks to be some quality offensive linemen from the portal. Four guys. Um, four portal offensive linemen um, are here on campus. So um, that's a unit. And plus, Alan, they got two junior college offensive linemen. So that's, uh, again, four portal linemen, two junior college offensive linemen, and they got four high school kids. So that offensive line should be in a little better shape, at least from a depth standpoint. So it's going to be fun watching those guys sort of get acclimated to Purdue and see what the staff thinks of them once spring ball starts in March. Yeah, when you talk about the, an amazing number, over 30% of your roster is new uh, coming in. You know, we talked about this before, but Ryan Walters and all coaches have got to learn to manage uh, to some some extent a little bit of chaos as you, as you have a new roster, or at least assimilate guys, try to make a team out of all this and do it. The good thing, I guess, Tom, is that you got – 
27 of them that will be able to go through spring practice. That's a huge, huge deal of being able to uh, be able to get these guys lined up and at least introduced to what Ryan Walters football looks like uh, uh, from their perspective. Yeah, you're right. And I talked about the offensive line being maybe the the position that that it's been impacted most by portal transfers. Um, another key area, though, is the wide receiving core, Allen. And, you know, it was last Friday, I think, during the Illinois game, uh, the two receivers from Georgia committed to Purdue. And so that gives Purdue three portal wide receivers. Uh, again, the two Georgia kids, Denylon Morissette and C.J. Smith. And earlier they got a commitment from a UCLA wide receiver, Cam Brown. So we all know Purdue lost, I think, I think it's six receivers in the portal this last year, Alan. So they really had to replenish that position and uh, give those guys a chance to get comfortable in this offense and also get comfortable working with Hudson Card. Yeah. The portal will open up again. I don't even know the, I don't know the date off the top of my head, but after spring ball, do you see much, you know, I mean, I know Purdue picked up some guys last year. I don't know if they did in the second portal, they did some. Do you see much there? Will that be – Will there be much? I mean, where it's also kind of it's relatively new, but uh, uh, do you see much activity there? Purdue does not have appear in your account to have a lot of scholarships to play with at this point. Uh, what do you see though? Maybe in the spring as well. I think for sure there'll be there's going to be movement out and movement back in, Alan. And yes, they did add some players last spring during that portal window. Um, it's this year. It's April fifteenth to the thirtieth. So, again, Purdue's probably going to start spring football when it gets back from spring break about March 17th, 18th, right around there. And it's about a three- or four-week process. So the end of spring football for Purdue will will line up perfectly with when the portal opens back up. At that point, players will have had a chance to go through spring practice. Maybe some guys will see the handwriting on the wall, maybe not like how they think they're going to be used, and may want to jump in the portal at that point. And it wouldn't be a shock to see a few guys do that. of course, Alan Purdue's always looking for players. Even if they don't have a need at a position, if, if they find a good player that they can get, they're going to take them. Um, there don't seem to be any real glaring areas of need from a positional standpoint right now. Um, they did they did add a cornerback uh, here uh, last week, the kid from, from Colorado. So they got two cornerbacks now as well. So, again, um, no, no real serious areas of concern at this point for Purdue. But like I said, they're always shopping, Allen. They're always looking to try to add talent to that roster. Yeah, we were talking at our high, highly high-level staff meeting yesterday at lunch about spring game date. And now it comes to if, if they do start around the 18th of March, I got to think that spring game will be on April the 13th, which will, will be right after Purdue men's basketball's NCAA NCAA championship uh, celebration. Maybe they'll put them both in the same day. I'm being somewhat facetious, but I suppose for Purdue fans, you only can hope that can happen. But all right. So you look at um, schedule next year. Um, Mm -hmm. You watched this week, Michigan win the national championship. uh, And now we're going to be going to a 12 team playoff and not necessarily we're expecting that to impact Purdue just yet. Uh, certainly that would be a dream of Purdue to get to work its way somehow into the playoff uh, discussion down the road. Tough, tough schedule. It's going to be tough every year if you're Purdue, uh, but you've got uh, Ohio State, Penn State, Oregon, Oregon State, Notre Dame, just to name five on that schedule. But it's really, it's a new era now, and and uh, it's going to be, 
you're going to be everybody fighting for those positions. You might see two or three teams in the Big Ten uh, get into that uh, get into that playoff. Certainly, that many will be in the conversation throughout the course of the year. But just so yeah. you've watched a lot of college football over the year. Just how do you think that changes the dynamic, even for teams like Purdue that are going to have to scratch and claw <laughs> to even get in that conversation, and probably and realistically not going to be in that conversation very often. But they 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 that's something they can aspire to. Talk about that twelve team and and how you how that changes the landscape of how how teams do business. It'll be tough, Alan. Um, I think the Big Ten and the SEC probably hope they make up over half that playoff field every year. Maybe with one of them getting four, the other one getting three, or and uh, you know flip flopping every other year. But they certainly want no fewer than two, and at least probably three in every year, and sometimes maybe four, Alan. And um, yeah, the the hill's gotten a lot steeper for schools like Purdue uh, to try to to reach that that brass ring of, of reaching the playoffs. Now, yes, there are more playoff slots like you said it's going to be a 12 team playoff starting this coming season but the big 10 has just gotten a whole lot more difficult right as an 18 team conference now washington oregon ucla usc um but you know alan we, we've been around a long time and we've seen purdue when they get everything aligned they have a good quarterback and things are click and they can't have those special seasons and uh, there, there's no reason to think why purdue maybe couldn't rise up um, from time to time and make a push at one of those uh, at-large playoff spots. Uh, winning the Big Ten, Allen, that, that, that could be a real tall task, but you never know. But, again, maybe at least getting one of those at-large spots, that, that may be where Purdue has to really aim for uh, from time to time uh, if it hopes to really get in that, that, that college football gala event. It's, it's going to be really fun, Allen, especially those first rounds next year that are going to be played on campuses. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be a blast seeing a playoff atmosphere and on some of these campuses uh, on Fridays and Saturday nights here uh, coming up this coming year. Yeah. The 2000 and 2003 teams would have been right at it. I think uh, yeah. if you talk about Drew Brees and of course, Kyle Orton's team, though they had three regular season losses, but uh, uh, as did the 2000 team, I should say, but uh, still the, those are there, there is living proof that it can happen and that you can be in the conversation if you're, if you're Purdue, but uh, boy, I, I still shudder a little bit at the fact that Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA are in this league going to make things challenging. But uh, you know, I think Ryan Walters, seems to embrace all this and say you know what we're here to compete and uh, yeah. uh it all will start on september the 7th uh, when indiana state comes calling and they won't shy away out we, we know this is an aggressive staff and yes, um, i agree with that you know then this 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 weekend as a matter of fact they're they're already starting to woo uh more intensely 2025 players alan there's uh posted boiling over on thursday Got some names of, of some key 2025 kids that will be here this weekend. So the ball is already moving forward, obviously, toward these, these next round of, of recruits. And yeah, you mentioned that schedule too. You know, they're they're trying to get the they're trying to move that schedule around a little bit. We've talked about that. A lot of people have asked me about it. Purdue's got to buy August 31st, which is week one. They don't want to buy the first week of the year. They'd like to get Indiana State. That game moved from September 7th to August 31st. It looks like it's going to be a, a very tall task. And right now, if I were to make a guess, it's probably not going to happen. But I know they, they've worked hard. They're continuing to work hard. Um, so we'll see if that happens. But right now, Alan, they've got to buy that first week of the year. And 
and uh, that's something the Boilermakers would like to, to change and have Indiana State play uh, play in, in, in West Lafayette on that week one, August 31st. All right, always time to talk football at goldenblack.com. And Tom Diener, nobody does it better than Tom. Uh, we appreciate all his work and his his life's work in college football has been in college sports, uh, not just with Golden Black, but we appreciate that as well. All right, we want to thank uh, thank our sponsors and uh, as we bring this show to an end, and that, of course, is Triple uh, X and On the Hill, but on the level of Purdue tradition since 1929. Tom and I will get over there for mm. Wayne Purvis before long and say hi to Carrie and Greg Ayersman. We appreciate them. And, of course, State Farm Agent Trent Johnson at TrentIsMyAgent.com. He, I think, was at the scorer's table on Wednesday night watching Caitlin Clark running up and down the court. To, I to saw him. Very, I saw him. To a very dismal triple-double. I don't know. You know, she was just kind of pedestrian, wasn't she? Uh, but what an atmosphere. And you were there for that game as well for half of that half of that ball game. And the fact that you had a uh, sellout in Mac Arena, no small deal, but uh, a big deal. So stay tuned. Uh, programming note, uh, show next week may not happen, but we'll have one in two weeks. We're trying to work with some details out with our with our partners at WLFI, but uh, we have lots of shows uh, to come here in 2024. Uh, it is a new year, and lots to talk about in the world of Purdue, Purdue sports. So have a great rest of uh, your day. Thanks again to Tom Deanhart and, of course, uh, Mike Steele and Jerry Nichols and Ray Davis for joining us on today's Saturday Simulcast. We will be back in all likelihood either next week, Saturday, or the following Saturday uh, and with another edition of Saturday Simulcast. Thanks again to the Union Club Hotel for its sponsorship and all that they do for us and for all of you. Travel safe if you're traveling during these wintry conditions and yet... Uh, we appreciate the way that you uh, view, digest, enjoy goldenblack.com material. And a reminder that you can subscribe to us at goldenblack.com. We have a website that actually has stories that, that uh, you might enjoy reading and a community at Knucklehead Central that was a great thing to be a part of. Special opportunities there available with uh, and offers with on3.com. But again, thanks for watching and listening and have a great week, everybody.